0: All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we are in our our second week of of three weeks looking at this really important topic called union with Christ. Last week, we talked about what is it? What is union with Christ? And what we talked about is that the New Testament, more than using the term Christian or believer or anything else, to talk about what does it mean to be a Christian employs this little prepositional phrase of in Christ. In Christ. And we talked about what is union with Christ. It's, it's literally the idea that, that by faith in the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ, we are hidden in him, that all of our records of wrong, our shame, are, are kind of casted away, and that when God sees us hidden in Christ, he sees the perfect, spotless, righteous son of God. And more than that, we said that Christ is in us. By way of his spirit, Christ is now dwelling in us. Far better than having your best friend tied to your hip. You know, imagine we, we could take Jesus to school with us. But far better than that is that he dwells in us. And so we talked about what is it. And, and there's a few things that last week I think will be helpful for us to learn. Is that, that union with Christ is not just some idea. It's not just some abstract thing where we kind of try to remember. It's, it's a powerful reality to those who are Christians, to those who are in Christ, right? It's, It's not something that we just need to like, you know, theoretically talk about, but actually it's a reality that we grow into. And I think one of the most formidable illustrations for me in the last 24 months was an illustration we use about the little kid growing up into his father's clothes, that when he first puts on his dad's clothes, it looks awkward and baggy and he can't walk right, but the more he grows into this, reality, the more he begins to look like his Father. And it's the same thing with us as Christians. So therefore, in our Christian lives, when we are called to grow and become more like Jesus, more in his image, it kind of takes time. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to just talk about union with Christ, but how to get it, how to, I guess, unlock its power. We talked at the very end of last week about how this idea of union with Christ. uh, and we'll talk about this next week more, is how it is so spiritually forming that it gives us a new identity. It gives us new power to live the Christian life. It helps us to close the gap. And what is the gap? We talked about this last week. That sometimes we know a lot about Jesus. We know about the gospel. We can sing the songs. But it seems sometimes that there is a, a distance in what we know and what we believe to what we feel and what we do. A perfect example of that is, is I know that it's wrong to look at these images. I know that it creates distance between me and God and and breaks other relationships. I I know that I shouldn't compare myself to others. I, I know that I shouldn't be greedy, but yet there's a gap. Because what we feel, what we do, isn't always what we believe. And I think it's union with Christ, understanding this reality, that can help us close that gap. Let's be honest. It's, it's been a long week. For, for me, it always feels like a long week when you come, after, come back after a week where you we had some time off, you know? The week before, we had Thanksgiving. We had a few days off. We got to eat food, play games, you know, be with our family. And that Monday came, right? And it was just like, reason, It just feels like a long day. And so I, I'll be honest, like, the week I had, um, I think, Noah, you were asking me, like, how was your week? And I was just like, yeah, you know, like, that's, I think that's exactly what I said. Like, I don't even, like, it wasn't, like, bad boring. It wasn't good boring. Like, it was just long and, you know. And, and, and as a Christian, like, what do you do with that, right? Like, we just sang that song, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. But yet I just feel super apathetic. I, I just, it's just hard sometimes to conjure up joy, you know, and, and have these feelings of, of peace and hope and security and so what I'd like to do tonight is, is to talk about songs, really, songs that we hear in our heads that hopefully, when we have them balanced and, and this understanding of union with Christ, we will see how we can actually change and close this gap. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is... Key phrase. What does it say? In Christ, In Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, as, as we come before your word, I ask that you would just um, give us humility, give us pause to know that by our own efforts and our own strength, Lord, we can do nothing. We are nothing. And so, Lord, we know that your word is powerful, that it's active, that it speaks. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom by your spirit to marvel and to rejoice in our union with Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. How do we grow? How do we change? Matter of fact, when I was thinking of this message, I was thinking of of a message that David Brashler gave at last winter retreat. Now, if you don't know who David Brashler is, he's the youth pastor, or he was, um, of the church that we usually do winter camp with. And, and last year at Winter Retreat, he gave this message about John 15 and bearing much fruit from the vine. And, and I remember he had this illustration where he said, you don't look at a tree and kind of just put a spell and say, fruit, grow, right? Like, uh, as nice as that would be to, like, my very failed, miserable garden to, like, jalapenos, tomatoes, right? Like, it would be nice to look at botanical growth and, and to be able to just kind of, like, you know, snap it into action. But that's not how we grow. And I think this is a really important thing to talk about because as I just think about the people in this room, I know that there are people here who struggle, who, who, who have read their Bible, who've been going to church a long time, who, who, who believe the right things, but yet it just seems that we can't ever kick those private sins. And no matter how much effort, how much we pray, it, it just kind of seems that my life doesn't ever really fully blossom into this beautiful life of following Jesus. This can look a few ways. One, like I said, some of those private sins in your life? Um, I, I don't I, forgive me if I talk about that sin so much, I just think that I, I need to be, you know. I don't know the word I'm thinking of. Relevant, maybe. Um, like, if, if pornography is a sin you struggle with in secret, um, if you're someone who compares to other people's appearances and the, the stuff they have, if you're someone who maybe gossips a lot, if you're someone who maybe the, the sin that you kind of struggle with is just a poor attitude and mindset about the Christian life, where you, where you know that there's more than just kind of a blank stare towards the gospel. Now, I, I know that sometimes in the Christian life, we look at some people who are super emotional when it comes to Jesus, and we kind of say, like, hey, it's good to be affectionate towards Jesus, but, like, that's a whole new ballgame, right? Like, and so, so maybe we can kind of just retreat back, and we just seem to have, like, really no affection for Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever, like, the issue, whether it be an actual sin that, that shows itself or an attitude or a thought we have, have you ever just felt that frustration that Paul had in Romans 7? The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. As a Christian, if you've ever struggled with that, one, good, you're normal. But two, like there is hope. There is hope. And this is what I think I want to try to accomplish tonight. And here's my aim in this little message, it'll be shorter than last week's, is that by seeing how our being united to Jesus... Is the power to help us live a transformed life. Listen, guys. Can I just be honest with you? There's a fear of mine that many of you will go to church your whole life. You'll confess Jesus with your mouth. You might even do a lot of good deeds, but you'll never really live and, and experience that true transformation that Jesus promises. It's, it'll be a lot of just behavior modification a lot of sin management, that on the outside it, it looks mostly good. Like, that is my fear, that, that you just come to youth group, you come to church, you, you, know, you graduate and you go to another church and your whole life you just kind of are stuck in this rut of looking like a Christian mostly, but really never being able to live transformed lives. Um, when this movie came out, my kids were really all about it and they're not, they're not so much anymore, which is okay, but they really love the song Trolls. Uh, the movie, I'm sorry. The movie Trolls. And uh, I, I'll be honest, like there are some movies and shows that are more bearable to watch with your kids than others. Um, my wife always, always gets on my case because I always pick the movies that I want to watch. Like, if they ever say, Dad, you pick a kid's show? Always Incredibles. Every time. Right? Um, like, there's just... If I get to pick, I'm going to pick something I want to watch, right? Like, I want can watch Daniel Tiger for four hours straight, right? Um, <clears throat> but... Something about one of the songs they were singing, I was like, "Man, like that sounds really good" because it's like Justin Timberlake and um, Anna Kendrick, I think, singing. And there's one part where they they had this harmony together, and I was like, "Man, hearing that makes me want to take voice lessons." Mm -hmm. Like you know, and and I was talking to her about that, and she was telling me, and this could be wrong. I mean, but hopefully she's telling the truth. um, That there is actually a chemical reaction in your brain when you hear a beautiful harmony. When you hear two people sing a song and, and they, they pick the right parts, like there's something that, that more than just listening to music, when you hear a harmony, that it actually tells your brain, this is good. Right? It, it's really fascinating how God made us that way, right? Now, harmonies are beautiful. Like I, I've never been able to do it well, but to people who can, like, I love listening to a good harmony. But you know what's worse or, or, or I mean worse than a good harmony is when, when you have two different songs playing and it just sounds horrible. Or, or when you try to do harmony and you fail, it's like you're trying to do something really good, but it's like, oh, that just sounds like bad, right? Like, or they just picked the wrong part. Um, my, that also happens in my house a lot too. I'll be like, uh, I'll, we put on Spotify a lot on our TV just because we don't want the TV on the whole day. So we'll put on some, you know, whatever. Um, and my kids though, when they hear the Spotify, they like to go get their tablet and I think it's really cool that they can find music on their tablet. And so literally, like, they'll put Baby Shark on <laughs> while, like, there's, like, Christmas music. And they're, like, dancing to Baby Shark. doo doo do, doo doo do baby. But, like, in the background, you're hearing, like, oh, come, oh, come, me, man. Baby Shark, doo do And it's, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I am dying. Like, the two, like, just do not go together at all. Right. And so like we just like pick one They're like baby shark, you know, they demand. that. so we pause the Spotify and um, sorry, long rant there. But but I think in the, in the Christian life, we have two songs typically playing in our heads when it comes to the Christian life. Here they are. And, and they are two songs that I think that preachers and even myself, we talk about a lot, but we have a hard time justifying them. One is the song of radical grace. Radical grace, that there is nothing you can do to earn God's forgiveness, that he gives it to you freely, that God loves you, that he is for you, that, that, that you have to say nothing and God's grace is there for you. But also the song of radical discipleship, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I think in in, in a lot of our lives and in my life, we have a hard time reconciling this. And so what we do sometimes is we turn up the volume, full blast, of grace. God, don't worry. If you sin every single day this week, God's grace is sufficient for you. If you're sinning right now, guess what? God's grace is sufficient for you. Tomorrow when you wake up, his grace is sufficient for you. We are good and we are right to emphasize grace. But sometimes I notice that when we, when we turn up the volume to grace, we kind of turn down the knob for radical discipleship. And so what I want to do is talk about these two songs that we hear and then circle back around and talk about 2 Corinthians 5, 17. First song, the song of grace. So when I think of the song of grace, I think the reason why the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son is, is like probably most people's favorite parable, is because it's all about grace. Right? If you know the story of the prodigal son, what happens is this punk kid comes up to his dad, and he says, Dad, I demand that you give me my inheritance. Now, if I did that today, two, my parents would laugh, and they would say, you're crazy, and two, what inheritance are you talking about, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe they'll sort some things out for me one day. but It was, a, it was a, a bad thing to do back then. But his father takes half of all he has and he gives it to his son and what does he do? He goes and he squanders it. He you know, lives a life of just vanity and selfishness and he, a famine breaks out the land and he's so poor that he's eating with pigs and he has this thought. Even my dad's servants, at least they have food, at least they have clothes. And so he goes back to his father and the father No ifs, buts, told-you-sos. Sees his son from afar. And what does the eldest father do? He runs towards him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He says, give him a ring. Give him clothes. Kill the fattened calf. Just embraces him. Just loves him. And and, and do you know where the context of that story is coming from? The Pharisees and the scribes are mad that Jesus was eating with the the sinners and the prostitutes. Jesus gives them the story. Hey, guess what? Even these people, God runs to embrace them. Something about that story this week that I never realized is that when He gives His son the ring, the clothes, and the fattened calf, He had already divided up between the two sons. The son, you get this much. Son, older son, you get this much. And so literally, when the father says to the oldest son, everything I have is yours, he literally is saying that. And so when he gives to the other son, what is he doing? He's taking from the oldest son's inheritance, right? Like, and, and you think, like, what? That doesn't seem fair. But that's grace. God gives us such incredible, amazing grace, which I think, Cameron, you, you brought it up, like, hey, is amazing grace a Christmas song? Sure, why not? Then that's my favorite Advent song. It's my favorite song of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found with blind, but now I see. And the thing with the song of grace that we have such a hard time accepting is this idea of do we actually believe that God has our best interests in mind? Every time you sin, every time you covet something, every every time you wander and define good and evil for your own, here's in essence what you are saying to God. I don't believe that what you have for me is best. And so what we need to do, we need to tell ourselves over and over again that God's grace is enough, that it's sufficient we need grace at full volume. You guys, listen. No one should ever apologize for speaking of grace too much. Grace is what Jesus offers us. Jesus literally says, come and rest. And can I just tell you something right now? If you sinned this week in a way that hurt your conscience, if you did something that you regret, even if you know, like, man, there's probably some things I did that I just can't remember, and that kind of, Pains your heart a little bit. Let me just tell you right now. In Christ, you're forgiven. Your sins are at the bottom of a of a shoreless ocean. In Christ, nothing that you did, past, present, or future, will ever be held again against you. Your judgment day that was once in the future has moved to the past on the cross, all of your sin is washed away because of the blood of Christ. We need this. Why? Because grace changes everything. Yet, as much as we talk about grace, as much as my heart as a youth pastor wants to instill grace into your hearts, as much as I talk about grace, that is grace is sufficient for you, even as I tell my own heart that, it seems that there are times that we still don't really change. And I think part of the problem is this. Why we I in union with Christ? It's because we have become experts about the benefits of salvation, but we are not experts in the giver of those benefits. We know a lot about the gospel, but do we know the author of the gospel? Do we know the benefactor? Do we know Christ himself? And so although grace is so important and we want that at full level, the song of discipleship is also a song, right? So we we hear stories of the prodigal son, we're like, yeah, we're all about grace. No judgment, grace. But yeah, we we read passages like the one I just mentioned earlier about Jesus says, "Um, if, if you want to follow me, you have to abandon all. And you've got to pick up your cross. And you have to follow me. The prophets, all in the Old Testament, do you know what they were saying to the kings of Israel, to the people? All the false prophets, do you know what they did? They said, hey, there's peace. You're fine. You're good with God. But really, there wasn't any peace. You see, it would be wrong for us to say, hey, grace, don't worry about your life. God, I mean, all the, all the sins you've done, you're, you're fine. You're grace. God loves you as you are. That's in essence what the prophets were doing and the real prophets came and said, no, that's not right. John 14, 15, right? Sometimes we, we forget, we, we, we zoom in on Jesus' story of the prodigal son, yet we forget that he says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 7, how about an even more startling passage? Not, every, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father. Do you know what that passage is saying? There will be some who come to God on the day of judgment, and they will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things in your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Radical discipleship. There's this guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who died as a martyr in World War II trying to overthrow Nazi Germany with Hitler. But he wrote this really important book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he says this, the only man who has a right to say he is justified by grace alone is the man who has left everything to follow Christ. In the same book, he says, quote, what happened to all those warnings of Martin Luther when he preached against people preaching the gospel in such a way As to make men rest secure in their ungodly living. More contemporary author, Dallas Willard says this He says, Most churches have a gospel of sin management. We have reduced life with God to be a barcode faith, wherein, simply by our verbal confession, we exchange our sins for Christ's righteousness and thereby acquire our ticket for heaven when this life is over. You see, what, what, what they're attacking here is what we call cheap grace. Cheap grace is the idea that I can just confess my sins, God's for me, and never change. Listen very clearly. Grace without repentance Is destructive. I, yes, we want grace. Yes, we want grace. But do not pretend that you are a partaker of this grace if you are not turning from your sin. How shameful would it be to ask Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, for the penalty and the shame for your sins, to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And he grant you that forgiveness, but to continue to do it over and over and over. Do you, know, do you know what that actually says? It says that you're not grateful. It says you actually think very little of it. And so, really, what, what, do we, what do we do with this issue? In one year, we hear this song all the time, grace, and we love it, and we sing about how it's amazing. Yeah, I think sometimes if we only emphasize grace, we're kind of left with this cheap grace that doesn't really lead Repentance, but then we got discipleship over here. And and, and can I be honest? I think the danger—if there's—if there's there's one of them that's more of a danger—I think it's—it's—it's a Christian life without a radical call to discipleship. And so there, there could be people, and maybe even part of my own life at one point, my story. Is this effort to like? I I gotta follow Jesus. I gotta share my gospel. I gotta share the gospel with people. I'm gonna read my Bible. I I gotta get up early every single day to pray. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna fight my sin. And, and, And there's this effort here we're talking about. Like I gotta follow Jesus. But the problem with that sometimes is after a lot of energy is exerted, we kind of grow weak and sluggish. We grow apathetic, and so. At uh, once, our push towards holiness was really strong. Now it's just back to where we were. What is it? Full, blo- full volume radical discipleship or full volume radical grace? How do we close this gap? And the answer is our union with Christ. The problem with emphasizing one over the other, when we only emphasize grace and never discipleship, and when we always emphasize discipleship and never grace, here's what ends up happening. You find a Christianity where you are still always thinking about yourself. If you tell yourself, so, so can, can I just like, let me just do a quick favor. Let me summarize what these two points are. Just believe the gospel more, so grace, call that belief. Radical discipleship, we call obedience. Okay? Sometimes we say, you just got to believe the gospel more. Just believe. Sometimes we say, you got to obey more. Just obey. And the problem is, is if you tell yourself over here, that I just need to believe more. I just believe that God's grace is for me. I just got to believe that he loves me. If you tell yourself and you forget over here, you tend to tell yourself that I just need to believe more. And if you're over here saying, I just need to obey more, I need to do harder, I need to put more effort, I got to get my priorities straight, what's the emphasis there? I just have to. I just. See, in both circles, what happens? It's just a whole big world of me and my effort. I just need to believe more. I need to obey more. But union with Christ, what does it do? It displaces us from the center of our lives. It tells us the work of Christ for us cannot be separated from the person of Christ in us. Because this is the big problem. We know about the benefits of grace, but we don't know the benefactor. So, um, in summary a little bit here, uh, here's the issue. How do we grow? Do I just believe more? Do I just obey more? And let me tell you, it is only in the actual person of Jesus where extravagant grace and radical discipleship meet in the person of Jesus. You see, guys, listen. Jesus can meet with prostitutes and the worst of all sinners and say, hey, your Heavenly Father is running to embrace you. But do you know what Jesus also says? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus will meet with the lowest of the lowest. Yet, that he will tell us these radical things that if you even just look at someone with a lustful eye, you've committed adultery. Right? Like, how do you reconcile? It's Jesus, it is Christ in us. A Christian is more about believing that Christ did certain things for you a long time ago. Being a Christian literally means that Christ himself, by his Spirit, joins his life with yours in such an intimate and comprehensive way. And it's such a prevailing metaphor that I think the primary metaphor in the Bible is that of marriage. But it's not just a metaphor, guys. It's an actual reality. Union with Christ tells you And only when you're dwelling in Christ can you have both and. So what do we really need? You need grace dialed up in your life at 110%. But do you know what you also need? Radical discipleship at 110% in your life. Can I just say something with you? Some of you here, you're really good at the grace thing. You know that Jesus loves you. You could tell others that all day long when it comes to following Jesus and fighting your sin and living in obedience to him, we need some work. Some of you here, you're all about the effort. Do more for Jesus. Yeah, but when we see some other people not doing so good as us, we're kind of like that elder brother in the prodigal son story. We need both. We need radical grace, radical discipleship. And this only comes through, as our passage says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How can we live a change of life? How can you guys tomorrow morning when you wake up actually begin to live in this reality of being transformed by the Spirit? And the answer is simply Bible, having faith in Jesus and obeying him. It's really, can I be honest, sometimes we make the Christian life more complicated than it is. Here, here's how we unleash the power of union with Christ. We believe the gospel more and we obey more. You see, sometimes uh, when we preach, you know, I, I get this all the time, sometimes like, man, I just kind of sound like you're preaching works religion, works faith. Like, you just tell me to do more things without you don't really preaching the gospel, right? And sometimes I'm preaching about grace and you're like, man, this is easy believism a little bit. All you do is gotta believe, No, it's it's both. To grow in Christ literally means that you would believe, that you would trust, that you would depend, that you would trust only in Christ and what he's done for you, and you would rest in that grace. But it also means that you now obey him in every single way. Because Christ is in your life. Guess what? He has the lever of growth. Jesus wants you to live a transformed life. And that transformed life, guys, listen, only can come when you are resting 100% in his grace and you are 100% committed to following him. You see, that's why when you come to passages in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You say, Jesus, who then stands guiltless? Like, I, I, I can never do this, but thank you for your grace. Help me now, Lord, to live a life in which I do not look at people as if they were created for my own pleasure. You see, um, Philippians 3, one of the great passages that the Apostle Paul says, exactly what I'm saying here. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. And what are you talking about? The righteousness of God. Not that I've already obtained all this, but I press on to make it my own. What is he saying there? Man, I still mess up. I have bad days. I haven't obtained this yet. I'm still, I'm still, man, I'm, I'm needy of Grace. But what do I do? I press on. You guys that that's what's so beautiful about union with Christ. Do you know why you can be open and honest about your struggles? It's because you know that right now, because of union with Christ, there's grace. Because I know that there is grace for me, guess what? I can tell people, I can look them in the eye and say, hey, this week I I did this, I got really hot, you know, with someone and I kind of just kind of snapped at them. Um, this week, I, I really had some thoughts in my head that were just bad, and I kind of just dwelled on them instead of kind of praying them away. But you know what? Union with Christ also helps us, too. It helps us to run away. It helps us to, to flee sin, to obey God. And so let me just give you one or two things really quick before we end. Um, this guy named uh, Rankin Woborn in his book, Union with Christ, says this. Every life is better with Christ at its center. But that means Christ must become more and more the animating center of all you do and say. That is what union with Christ is. That Jesus becomes more and more the central part of your life. You see, guys, listen. In your Christian life, if you are trying to change simply by just trying harder, You're missing the very power that God has for you. Don't look to yourself for change. Look to Christ. Look to the power that he has. Look to both of these songs of believe and obey. And I'll end with this. Union with Christ holds together what so many of us are struggling to hold together. We have this song playing, come and die. We have this song playing, come and rest. But union with Christ, it allows us to sing a song of grace that has nothing of us to love us. We sing amazing grace. But at the very same time, union with Christ allows us to sing love so amazing, so divine, that it demands my soul, my life, my all. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. That that is what union with Christ is all about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. And I thank you for the promise that, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Lord, help us to grow into that reality more and more. God, many days we still act and live as if we are living in the old man. But help us to see our new identity in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.